Ben Jawalski, what's going on? It's good to be back in civilization, John Woolley. For those not watching and are listening on audio, Ben looks like he should be building houses with the Amish right now. It's pretty amazing. I love it so much. What is up with that beard? My hair is so curly and long right now. The beard. So this is my playoff beard. Basically, my goal starting going into hunting season, basically after the CrossFit Games, I was like, I have one or two more video shoots. I'm not touching my hair or beard until the end of uh, elk season because i do have a wedding that i'm trying not to get kicked out of at the end of september so basically i'm gonna let it ride until uh, until i leave for the wedding then i'm gonna go to a barber shop and be like do something has has your girlfriend seen this beard yet she has she has katie likes it she thinks it's okay sure she does she does, does she I like does it she more. I'm going to message her separately, see if I can get the real story behind whether she likes this beard or not. Like, I'm not super, super nice to me, but she, she likes the long hair and the beard. So I'm just letting her ride. I mean, look, I'm just going to, I'm, I'm just going to say she must really like you. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. She must really like you. She likes that. I'm not saying it's a bad looking beard. I'm just saying, I'm just, I'm just not seeing a, a woman. Like that's what you're saying. That's a little bit what I'm saying. I'm just not seeing a woman going, oh my God so hot that beard is so hot i'm just it's a little, it was a hard... it's a little boofy, but I'll, I'll manage it just i'm letting it come in and then i'll <laughs> do something with it maybe a mullet say i think a mullet's a great idea for you i think i could rock it i think i think you absolutely could rock a mullet and uh, and you you filled your tag i did i am a successful elk hunter successful archery elk hunter for the first time ever and and it was it was a big, a pretty big bull, especially for the kind of hunt that we were doing, where it was completely do-it-yourself and an over-the-counter area, meaning it was anyone in the world can buy a tag for these areas. So it's traditionally really hard to make it happen, and we made it happen. So I think the success rate for that kind of hunt is like way below 5% annually and I'm, I'm excited we sealed the deal on day seven and i'm gonna have hundreds of pounds once it gets back from the process we'll have probably a little over 200 pounds of of elk meat to go around and yeah i'm i'm really proud of myself and, and the rest of the guys i i got your text message that you had filled your tag and i started messaging the wide prep team i'm like thank god i'm not gonna have grumpy ben to deal with this is awesome this <laughs> is so good so yeah. good. So happy, I'm very happy, Ben. Happy and tired, but very happy. I want to talk about the meat for a second. So, how many pounds of meat will you get out of this? So, with the bones and the quarters and back straps and basically everything, it was like 200, yeah. a little under 270 pounds. So, after they get the bones out and do all the processing, I'm, I'm estimating around 200 pounds. You got a freezer big enough for this? I do actually. I have a I have a really big freezer that I got a couple of years ago. So I'm definitely going to be giving a lot away to friends and family, and uh, and hopefully we're going to have lots of. I need to start doing some more cookouts here once I have some time. I'm going to throw a big housewarming party. We'll cup, cook up a bunch of elk steaks. It'll be a good time. All right. So walk me through it. So, so I've obviously been around white-tailed deer quite a bit, and I know like what you get off of like white-tailed deer here in Ohio are, we'll just call them 130 to 180 pounds, mm -hmm. give or take, right? They're pretty big by whitetail standards. Yeah. And you get a pretty decent amount of 
of filet and ground meat and whatever like how how much are you actually going to get that you're going to like filet how much filet will you get out of this give me an example so the filet would be like the back straps i mean i actually have a picture of me with one of the back straps and it's basically the, the length of my body so i'm gonna have a lot of a lot of backstrap steaks a lot of fillets gonna you're gonna be, be eating nothing but steak for the next 12 months basically that's what you're telling me me and all my friends will be eating nothing but <laughs> but pure natural grass-fed the basically the healthiest meat in the world and it's some of the tastiest in the world too it's absolutely outstanding so yeah, I'm I'm excited to now I gotta learn how to really cook it up right. And that, the few times I've made from the from the first elk that I got during rifle season, I I've just it's been incredible. What just salt, pepper, throw it in a pan, it's it's unbelievable. What what's it what's an elk tag go for in in Colorado? It depends on it depends on where Depends on where you're from. So in state for me to get this over the counter tag, I think it was like 65 bucks or something like that. Wow. That's it, huh? Out of state. I'm pretty sure it's $700. So yeah, man. Yeah. But you think of the price of meat today and, and what incredible quality that is like truly organic, no pesticides, none of that you got to deal with. Man, that's unreal. Yeah, on the outside, it looks like, wow, that's a really smart, affordable way to get meat. But then when you factor in all the time, taking off work, all the <laughs> thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, camouflage gear. and We don't archery, count that. We don't count that. equipment, no. gas. No. You don't count that. It's CrossFit shoes, they don't count. They don't count toward the cost. You're definitely, you're definitely not doing it for affordable meat. But in the long run, eventually it will be once you get good at it. Once you're you have all the gear already, there's some pretty high barrier to entry gear cost wise. But but the memories and the experience will be something that I never forget. Like it was a top five moment of my life for sure. It was outstanding. Wow, seven days in, that's quick, dude. Yeah, we we were on a man. We had other on the first day. Actually, I had, I had an opportunity on ten different elk, but they were all a female. And I wanted to hold out for a bull this year. So yeah. it was, it was a heck of a season and I'm, ex I'm itching to get back out there to help my buddies get some. So that's awesome. You go back out when Friday, I'm probably going to go back out Saturday and then I'll be out for another week and a half. So what's your role now that you've gotten yours, what's your role in this? You just, I'm going to be caller, meaning I'm going to be the one because elk actually speak to each other. They have a language and right. I know a little bit how to speak it. And I'm going to be caller. I'm going to be the one trying to talk to him, trying to basically talk, talk smack and get him to run in really angry. Give me your best elk call. I don't have a, I don't have one of my reads here. I got one in the car I can go get, but no, I'm disappointed. I was hoping it's going to be like, Hey, like one of those. Yeah. I was hoping that was going to be. Cow calls are kind of like, meow, 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 meow. And then the bugles, I don't even want to try one of those, but really high pitched and screechy and awesome. I love it. I get I get a bunch of deer in my backyard, like big bucks come rolling through here, and I like to bleed at them. Goes well every once yeah. in a while, just to make them turn their heads. Yeah, it's the best, absolutely <laughs> the best. There's so many deer in this neighborhood, but you know it's a totally different experience than what you're dealing with. 
Yeah. No one, no one will ever believe it, but deer, elk, like any animal that's like out in the woods is, is so much different than an animal that lives in a, like in a community, like where I live. Right. You know, People like, see yeah. like all the, all the elk at Rocky Na- Mountain National Park is, oh yeah, wow, they're right there. And it's like, when they're, when they're actually like in the wild, wild where they know they have predators, aka yep. humans coming after them, it's a whole different ball game. Do elk have predators besides humans or are wolves a, a problem for them? Well, wolves are, but not here in Colorado. There are not very many wolves, but they unfortunately did vote to introduce wolves. That was interesting. The only people who, the only counties that voted it in was Boulder County and, and Denver and Aspen and, and every other county in, in all of Colorado where the actual wolves would be voted against it because they're so detrimental to livestock and, and elk populations and stuff like that. But so there's, there's wolves and then there's bears. We have black bears here and then mountain lions. Those are the three Will a, a bear attack an elk? Yes. Yep. Especially the calves. Oh, I had no idea. Mm-hmm. They look so nice. Yeah, <laughs> and no bears, clue. Bears look really nice until they're not. Like this one yeah, right well, here. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was like, I'm not, this doesn't feel like hunting. I'm not going to do this. Like, I'm fine not shooting a bear because they just don't seem very aggressive. I'm just going to watch. And then I watched this one viciously attack and murder a, a young a young bear. And I was like, well, that's the reason why you hunt male, older male bears is because they just try to kill everything. Wow. That's interesting. Very interesting. Nature, so now that you're out there, nature is very ruthless. Like nature, the, the elk that I got, right? Like he, he expired and it was a perfect, it was a hard shot and he expired in, in less than 45 seconds. And he actually had no idea what hit him. Like he didn't even feel it. He was like, yeah. you know, and how he would die a natural death is like starvation infection or basically being mauled by a bear (laughs) so it's like this my arrow perfectly placed was was a much better way for this mature bull to go than pretty much any other way could farm that's really interesting yeah nature's crazy dude it's always crazy so now that you're out you get any fitness in this week are you taking time off pure recovery we're only averaging maybe four hours of really bad sleep a night you're sleeping on a sleeping pad and in a, in a tent. And I just don't tend to sleep that well doing that. So you're, you're not averaging very much sleep time and, and you're up at four in the morning, you're getting to bed at 11 to midnight every night. So this whole week I've just been, I've been sleeping as long as my body will allow me. And it's kind of been like 12 hours a night. So I'm just recovering. Right. Got yeah. a couple of little tweaks here and there. So just recovering and then I'll get back after it and then I will probably not pick up back into the CrossFit gym until probably mid-October once I'm back from Alaska. Because of course, okay. I'm, of course, I'm going to on another trip, but I'm going to Alaska, and then I'll I'll get back into it, and I'll, I'll probably have lost 15 to 20 pounds. It'll be a long road back, but uh, the good news is, right before the season, I was probably the fittest I've ever been. Well, I wanted to talk about open prep. I know people are like, well, "What the hell, Wooly? It's not even October yet," but the open's right around the corner. It's close to, I, I don't think people are thinking about it already, but we're in it. We're already in September. So you basically have September, October, November, December, and January is not enough time. January is going to fly by. And then you are in the open. Yep. It's about, so were you, about four months of prep, right? Yeah, basically four, four months. So I was hoping we could figure out 
four months is enough time to say, all right, if I could really focus on three to four things, like really impactful, what would make a huge difference or make a significant difference in open placement between now and then, what would those things be? If you had to like pick, pick those things, what would be your first thing you'd think of? Well, the number one separator between people in the open, it almost always boils down to a specific skill that they do or do not have. Um, and it, even if you're in the RX division, it's, do you have proficient double unders? Do you have proficient chest to bar pull-ups? Do you have proficient toes to bar? Do you have bar and ring muscle-ups? Those, that's kind of like the core. And also I'd probably throw handstand push-ups in there. All or most of those movements will show up in some capacity. And I would immediately identify, put all those movements on the table and say, which one can you not do at all? And if you can't do, let's say, ring muscle-ups, you're like, I don't have any of those. I have a few of all the other ones, but no no ring muscle-ups. That's that first domino you got to knock over because, because it's a huge separator, right? If you're trying to make it to the next right. level or trying to get the best placing possible, the difference when a muscle-up shows up in a workout, the difference between zero and one is tens of thousands of places on the leaderboard. So without, it, without actually getting more fit, quote-unquote, like, stronger or faster or or any or more flexible or any of that you can work on skills and that is kind of like a hack that will drastically improve your open performance so i identify those kind of core skills that i just mentioned and i'd say which which one are my weakest let's say two maybe three and that's what you need to be working on a couple days per week even if it's just 15 to 20 minutes each time, you need to be consistently working on progressions to help you learn and maybe even become proficient at those movements so that when it does show up in the open and you're really tired at the end of a workout, you're still able to do them because that's going to separate you from thousands and thousands of people. If you prioritize any of those movements, so I know you're saying you pick the one you can't do, but assuming you can do them all, which a lot of people could, yeah, in some degree, would you prioritize one over the other? I think, I think double unders are the one that messes people up maybe the most is because someone who can do double unders, that's one thing, but someone who can do double unders when they're under heavy fatigue and they're 10 minutes into a, a, a really spicy Metcon, as we say in CrossFit, that's a huge differentiator. And what's cool about double unders is it doesn't require more strength. It doesn't require more anything other than just kind of getting that clill, that, that skill and that rhythm to click. And when you get it to click, then all of a sudden you're blowing by people who are tripping up every right. five to 10 reps. So I'd say double unders because we know they're showing up. That's one that's been in every single open. I'm pretty sure we know that double unders will, will show up and they're going to trip up literally for lack of a better word, so many people. So I'd say double unders are, or one that's easy to to practice with that and getting a bunch of double under volume isn't really going to bang you up too much, right? Like practicing a ton of ring muscles, it can bang you up. It can really, right. all those pulling muscles, all, your hands are, might get ripped up, whatever. But double unders, you can kind of throw in double unders three days a week easily after whatever workout you're doing and you're not going to get too banged up. So I'd say double unders is kind of like the lowest hanging fruit there. And then 
additionally, I would just, I'd say muscle ups because again, the difference between being able to do a muscle up tired and being able to do a muscle up are two totally different things. So, so muscle ups under fatigue, I'd say would be the next most important one. I'm always, I'm always amused at how we have very similar thoughts, but for different reasons. Mm -hmm. So those are the, those are the two I had in my mind. For me, I, for me, it's always about the gamemanship of it. I was thinking double unders. I think you're spot on. Like your advice is exactly right. Being able to do it under fatigue is really important. My thought was if you can get good at double unders, the difference between someone that's good and someone that's average is a significant number of reps in a really short period of time. So like you can blow past somebody by 30 to 50 reps in 30 seconds if you're good at double unders. As opposed to that person that's like tripping, tripping, tripping. Yep. And so that's why double unders always so important to me and to consistently be good at them. And for me, I always try to practice them with odd movements, like different things each time. So do some box jumps and double unders, do some wall walks and some double unders, do some heavy cleans and some double unders. Like Mm -hmm. you have to get used to moving into those reps, doing something different each time. So you know what that stimulus feels like. So you can consistently knock out big rounds of reps Mm -hmm. and the muscle up same thing it's the gamemanship of it the difference between being able to do one muscle up and two can be thousands of spots on the leaderboard yeah so it's kind of it's a little bit of the opposite but the same result you don't have to be able to beat someone by 100 reps so you beat them by one it can be a huge jump you beat them by two it's even more and and so on and so forth so it's, it's really you said it isn't necessarily about being more fit it's about moving up the leaderboard quicker in an open type scenario. Although I do think with this amount of lead time, it does lead to more fitness or whatever mm-hmm. that's worth. Yep, for sure. What would be your number two thing you'd focus on? Beyond skills, you mean? Mm-hmm. Or I don't know. You got four months to the open. Like you've got to prioritize what are the things I'm going to work on between now and February. Well, yeah. I mean, again, like I would, I would focus on identifying two to three skills like for sure that that you could knock out once you've identified those skills and you've maybe created a plan or purchased a watt prep plan to get better at those skills then i'd also really start basically between now and the open ideally a perfect program is going to start to pro start to have you do more open style workouts so i would be practicing pacing right during class, I think a lot of people try to treat every class like it's, it's, hey, I'm just trying to get my best score on the class leaderboard. And that's fine. But I think class workouts or whatever programming you're following, it's a great time to practice. And it's a great time to practice various things like negative splits. So for instance, let's say you did a Helen or something like that. Maybe rather than just trying to do Helen as fast as possible, try doing Helen in a way where round one is your slowest round and then round two is a little faster and then round three is the fastest one. I think a lot of people do it the exact opposite. But when you start practicing and playing around with your pacing and you get familiar with what it's like to do maybe a 20-minute AMRAP where each round is the same, like you're, you're almost doing it to an EMOM timer or something like that. You're trying to have even splits throughout or negative splits throughout. That's the kind of stuff that really 
teaches you how to manage your, your heart rate, manage your breathing, and actually be pay attention, pay conscious attention to your pacing, rather than just going, I'm going to start as fast as I can, and I'm just going to try to hold down. And when I get tired, I'm going to go slower, because that's how a lot of people treat any Metcon. So I'd really, really hone in and focus on trying to practice your pacing in workouts. Even if that sacrifices, let's say, your best score, what does it feel like when you go absolutely full send, like true red line and see where that red line is on a shorter workout? Or what happens when you force yourself to go really slow in the beginning? Does that make you actually move faster throughout the whole workout because you don't burn out in the beginning? You kind of have to play, play with your strengths and weaknesses and then go backwards from there. Like longer workouts are a problem for you because you always get burnout early on then force yourself, hey, I'm going to try the first half of the workout. I'm literally going to go at like 75% of my normal speed and see how you feel towards the end of the workout because that might actually show you that it's way better to pace that way. So I would say it's a bit of a vague answer, but I would say work and practice on different pacing strategies. Some red line, some way below your threshold, somewhere in between try going faster as a workout progresses, try keeping it even every single round as the workout progresses, those kinds of things, really paying attention to the split times. No, I think it's great advice. How would you track it though? Do you use a notebook? Do you, you write, you're writing it down. Like, how are you keeping track of what you're trying to measure? I mean, so I wouldn't, I think like a, a workout journal would work really well here, whether that's just taking notes in your own like little paper journal or doing it on whatever workout tracker people are using. I don't think it's necessarily, we're not trying to say, oh, look, I've improved my pacing by X percent. I think it's more now is the time to practice and expose yourself to different stimulus so that you know what it feels like. A lot of people kind of like have their, their, their way of doing Metcons and they know how it feels like, cause that's how they treat every single Metcon. So so let's say you have Cindy, 20 minute AMRAP of five pull-ups, 10 push-ups, 15 right. air squats. Let's say you're doing something like that. Normally, a lot of people start out Cindy really, really fast and they get slower and slower as the workout goes on. Maybe you say, I'm going to try to do Cindy on, a, on an Iman clock where each round I'm going to, if I, even if I get done at 30 seconds, the first round, I'm going to sit and I'm going to wait until the next minute turns over just to see if that makes me feel better towards the end of the workout. So it's more of just, like, you know, dear journal, today's workout was this. Rather than doing X, which I normally do, I decided to do Y and here's how it went. And I think a lot of people in that, they'll surprise themselves. Like for instance, something like a DT. A lot of people go really fast in the beginning of DT and then they burn out. What happens if you force yourself to start off slow on DT Right. You might actually be your, your previous record because you could, you realize you can keep moving that barbell the whole time rather than taking big breaks. It's like things like that, where you're hopefully your gym is programming some benchmark workouts and you can try to beat your score or see if you can even feel better in the workout by tweaking your pacing strategy oppositely of what you would normally approach it. You're like, dear diary, that workout sucked. Don't do that. I think you have to, I asked the question about tracking it. Cause I, I think you're spot on here. Like you need to 
test a lot of different things, see what works. You've got to practice negative splits is great advice to really figure out how to get your best time in a workout. For me, it's always about heart rate though. So I'm always tracking my heart rate versus what I did and to be able to look back to see how I did, how fast I was moving helps me in the workout. Because the thing that you're not going to get typically in the open, I know we occasionally do some repeats, but it's almost always unknown and unknowable, right? Like new stuff you haven't seen before. And I, when I get workouts I haven't seen before, I immediately go back to heart rate because I know what my working heart rate is. I know where my red line is heart rate wise and where I work best. And so like my red line personally is like 180 beats per minute. If I'm at 170, 180, I am done. Mm -hmm. I can't do anything. But if I'm at like 145, I can do anything for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. And so as long as I don't get over that, I'm okay. And it really doesn't matter what the movement is by and large. And there are some exceptions to that, but generally speaking, I'm good. Right. And it's because I've tracked that for a long period of time versus a lot of movements. And I, I learned over time by tracking that heart rate, I, I've learned what my heart rate is when I do wall balls and thrusters. It's wildly different than what it is when I do double unders mm -hmm. and wildly different than when I do burpees. And it's different than when you do handstand pushups, because now you're inverted and blood flow is different. So I, I just think tracking of what you're talking about is really important for people to really be able to look back and kind of understand what's happening to their body during these movements and that things change. Your heart rate does change based on the movement you're doing and, and what your breath work looks like and, and how efficient you are in those movements. Yeah. So. I know a, a wad prep where this next phase that we're doing in wad prep online training, CJ is specifically programming workouts where let's say it'd be five rounds per time, but you have to log each round. Like you have to use your watch and do, do like a split time right. thing because his goal is to, is he's, Hey, in this workout, I want you to try to shave off 10 seconds each round, or in this workout, I want you to stay within a five second variance of each round. So we're working negative splits. We're working maintaining splits, but these are things that a lot of people just don't think about. They're like, I'm going to start. And when I'm done, I'm done. But when we start looking at each round as its own individual piece, then you really start to master your pacing. I think that's well, just like you kind of master yep. your heart rate management. I don't really do it with heart rate too much just because I don't really trust my heart rate monitor things. Um, <laughs> but I think either way, you're becoming a master of controlling your pace and thus controlling your heart rate yep. and your breathing. And when you can learn to master that or learn to manage it and learn to learn, oh, when I hit this, whether it's heart rate or when I hit this speed, I know I've gone too far because now I have to move way slower in the future. It's about managing and trying to bump up against that wall without surpassing it so they can keep those negative splits or maintain the, the splits in each round. You don't, you don't trust Tim Cook and Apple? The hell, man. I don't have an Apple watch. I have a, is what? it Garmin? Is it Garmin? I mean, I'm sure it tracks it well. I just, I don't know. I Slumming. just have so much heart rate stuff. Slumming with the Garmin. I get it. I get it. You're, you're, you're a high roller, bro. Why don't you have the Apple Ultra? What's going on? I don't know. This thing is pretty expensive. This is the Phoenix Solar. You know, oh, this, oh, Solar. Okay, that's right. You're you the, know why? It's just this. This thing will last me two months in the backcountry, and then has maps and everything. When the Apple Watch, I know you kind of need to recharge it every night. Oh, good point. Yeah, I guess you are. 
out, out in the wilderness for 30 days at a time. Whereas mm -hmm. wilderness for me is, I, mean, I might leave my house once a day. <laughs> hey, before we get to our next points, let's talk about our sponsor, Third Seed. They have a new, new improved formula. Have you seen this? You talked no, about haven't. this? Talk yes. Well, first of all, it's banned substance tested. So for those that are wanting to compete, they're now informed sport tested. Which oh, I man, that stinks. I wanted those roids, baby. Did you? You wanted to get the, you were, you were hoping to get the benefit of, of some tainted subs. Well, yeah, some tainted subs, but that's probably good for everyone else. It, it's, it means they can start sponsoring games athletes now. So that's a good thing. Emily Roth was first on the board and right. I was chatting with her about it the other night. She was talking about how much she liked it. But yeah, it's really cool. So uh, banned substance tested and third-party confirmation of label claims and has upgraded magnesium for better absorption and sleep support. I'm reading this, obviously. And it says better, more relaxed flavor. I'm not sure what relaxed flavor means. I'm going to have to ask Justine because I think that's pretty funny. Maybe uh, some people thought the flavor was like either too sweet or too sour or something like that. I love the old flavor, so we'll see, we'll see about this new one. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. All I know is it makes me, it makes me sleep like a baby. So, so I'm pretty excited about it, whatever that's worth. So go get some Third Z. Use our code WADS, W-O-D-Z-Z-Z. Go to thirdz.com, T-H-I-R-D-Z-Y.com, and buy a bag. You'll save 25%. And it is truly great. Like, I, I use this stuff every night, and I love it. Yeah. Really good stuff. I'm disappointed I'm not going to have the tainted subs now, though. Yeah, oh, that's a bummer. Right. I'm gonna yeah. get so much smaller now. Uh, yeah, you and me both. I guess now I'm gonna finish a hundred and one thousand seven hundred thirty second instead of seven thirty first. It's a real bummer. All right, back to the open. What's your next open tip? Mm. Let's see. Next open tip. So, as a recap, we talked about identifying those two to three skills that are going to be huge separators. We've talked about pacing, which is kind of like heart rate and breathing management. And that breathing is another really big thing. I think a lot of people don't particularly pay attention to their breathing in various movements. So you should know how to breathe for a thruster and a wall ball and a handstand push up and, and a ring muscle up. Like a lot of people just breathe naturally. But I think when you're a little bit more conscious of it, that's going to kind of play a role in the pacing. Let's see. The next, the next thing I would suggest, honestly, I would, I would try to get your affiliate or whatever program that you're following. This might not happen quite yet, but as you get closer, as you get a couple months out, you should be testing open workouts in a scenario that's similar to the open, meaning you should be, rather than starting with a strength and then a Metcon, you should just do an open Metcon. You should like, do an open workout fresh, maybe at the time you plan on doing the open workout. So rather than going to your Friday morning class, if you like to go to Friday night lights, maybe start trying to go to a Friday evening class to, to start getting the feeling and the process for what do you eat, how do you get prepared for hitting an open style workout so that you can get your best score possible? Because I think that throws a lot of people off as well. So it would simply be repeating open workouts because that's something they do all the time is repeat them. Repeating open workouts in conjunction with this whole pacing management stuff. Right. In conjunction with 
learning the new skills, I think that's a really good recipe for success is to, to practice how you're going to play. Dude, that's a great tip. I had actually not really considered that until you said it. Go do Friday night lights. If you're normally an AM CrossFitter, you need to get your ass out of the house on Friday night and go to the gym at 5 p.m. on a Friday and start doing your workouts between now and February, at least one a week. Why wouldn't you? Like, get used to it. Understand how to fuel yourself, what you should be taking. Because the part of the problem with that is like a lot of these, myself included, if you go to AM CrossFit, what are you doing? You're drinking coffee. You're taking a pre-workout. You're, you're doing your morning breakfast. It's usually kind of carb loaded. And so you go do your workout and you feel great. And then you go to an evening workout and it's not the same experience. You're not used to having caffeine that late in the day. Mm-hmm. You're not used to having your bagel or whatever your morning carb load is. And it, it's a game and, and your body's not used to it. That's the more, probably the bigger impact. So like your body's used to working out a super certain time. And now you're pushing it back to the end of the day and it never does that. Your body's like, what are you doing, bro? Yep. This is not our time. Why are we working out right now? I think that's great advice. Get people used to it. Yeah. For sure. And and I think there's the kind of the the thing that always gets me in the open. There's always the the unknown aspect of when your heat time's gonna be. You ever have to deal with that? You like go, oh, everybody's doing the open. So sure. you're like just getting thrown in. And so right. that all the timings off and so you can really practicing this like kind of odd timing thing is a is a good tip dude look at you for the smart ideas yeah i mean i can tell you how many times i've just and a lot of times it's my fault i show up and people are like hey ben you want to hop in this next seat i'm like yeah whatever <laughs> like right. not warmed up at all and that definitely affects it but yeah being being prepared to hit it out of stride compared to your normal your normal class time I mean, it's, if you always do your open workout during your normal class time, that's fine. But if you right. don't, it, it's probably worth strategically doing some open style workouts during the time you think you might be doing the open. I know it seems, like, wow, we're so far off, but we're really not that far off. And yeah. the earlier you can get exposed to that, the, the better you're going to be prepared. I think maybe, oh man, I had another tip that came and went where did it go? I have, I have a question then. So I think a lot of people thinking, all right, I got four months. I got to build between now and then. So if you had to prioritize between last week or last time we recorded, we talked about building an engine. So if you had to choose prioritizing between building that engine and getting cardiovascular fit or building strength between now and the open, I know it's not an either or position completely, but which you have a better shot at getting really good at in the next four months? I think for most people listening, engine is the answer, right? Open workouts do have components of strength. Like we saw the one right max thruster. However, in terms of skewing, was the open more, the previous open more cardio heavy or strength heavy? I would say it was way more cardio and skill than anything. So I think building an engine where you can accumulate reps at a high heart rate and do that for an extended period of time, that's going to take you, that's going to help you prepare for the open, which tends to be lighter and longer compared to quarterfinals, which is, that's where they bring out kind of the really heavy stuff. So I would skew more engine 
Now, the caveat there is if you're already someone who's, I got my engine dialed, cardio, run work, that's, that's my wheelhouse, then you can obviously skew more and do strength stuff because that's probably going to be your biggest hold in the open. If, you're, if the worst score in the open last year was that one room max thruster, then I would say it's okay to skew strength. It's totally fine. But for the overwhelming majority of people, it's, it's, it's cardio. It's, it's the being able to accumulate reps when you are feeling miserable under fatigue. So I'd say skew building an engine. And then with that, my point that I forgot that I now remembered was, I think it's also really smart to, everyone talks about a summer bod, getting, getting nice and lean and mean for the summer. I would prioritize getting lean and mean for the open. Cause if you're lean, that's going to make all these gymnastics skills easier. Like when I'm doing pull-ups and muscle-ups and handstand push-ups and things like that, an extra five to 10 pounds goes a long way. But if, if you're, if you're at a nice lean physique coming out of the winter, a lot of people aren't, a lot of people, especially in the Northern right. hemisphere, we aren't as lean as we normally are coming out of the holidays and stuff like that. If you can stay disciplined and not put on too much weight and be lean and mean for that February open, it's going to go a long way, right? That, again, the examples, imagine we're having to wear a 10 pound weight vest in all of your workouts from now from now on, that that's hard, right? 10, 10 extra pounds on your back or on your belly or on your legs or wherever you keep it is, is a lot harder than I think people give you know, credit for. So if you, if you're nice and lean going into the open, I think that's going to set you up for success. Yeah. I, I would tell people get a nutritionist if you can afford it or, sure. or want to consider it. I would also say sober October, something people do. Pretty often I did it last year. It was not fun, but I did it. <laughs> but it's a good kickstart to the holiday season. I'll get you through get you through October, end of November, December. And to your point, like I don't think you have to get super skinny, but I think the more you dial in your nutrition, eating clean, learning to fuel yourself, is where a good nutritionist can help you. Can certainly make the open far easier for you. And it's, it's kind of the same scenario you're talking about, about going out and, and working out in the evenings. Like the more you practice this, the easier it will be when game time gets here. If you wait till a week out, you're like, all right, well, I'm just going to quit eating pizza this week. Your body doesn't change that quickly. It's like building strength. You're, it takes years to build strength. Well, it takes months for your body to start adjusting to what you're putting into it, good and bad. So fixing it now, you have plenty of time to really get your body ready for that three-week experience of what's going to be pretty intense workouts. I would add to that, if you started focusing on sleep right now too, it would also be easier. Yes. And just and make that your one-two punch. Sleep, mm -hmm. sleep and nutrition. I mean, I don't know if I, I talked about this on a show recently. It wasn't with you, but I, I heard an interview with Frazier. I love that guy. Like he's, he's always so smart. And he says such simple things that I'm like, well, did I, I not think of this? He was talking about training and, and he was training with a bunch of other Olympic lifters just in the early days of his career and how he thought he was just going to out-train everyone. And his coach just said to him, you're never going to out-train everyone. He's like, everyone in this room is training equally as hard as you. You're really naive if you think you're going to out-train them. He's like, you're going to out-sleep them. Mm. And I thought that was really insightful. Yep. Like you have to beat them everywhere not just in the gym. And I think that's where people really 
don't understand the open. They think, well, if I did, I'm training side by side with my buddy. So as long as I just go heavier, RX more workouts, I'll get in some, some extra stretching or mobility work and I'll beat them. And the reality is there's people all over the planet doing those same things. It's the people that yeah. are willing to do the extra things, the extra sleep, the better nutrition. Yeah. Spending more time on recovery that actually end up doing well in the open. And I think recovery between now and the open, if you, if you, along with mastering those skills and, and managing your pacing, practicing open workouts, if you really want to separate yourself, I think that is an amazing point. If you now start to think about recovery, because remember yep. it, we talked about it with Justine on the podcast before you don't get your gains. You don't realize your fitness gains until you left the gym and you've recovered from it. So if you're just going hard at the gym all the time, but you're not actually prioritizing getting at least eight hours of sleep. I know Froning back in his heyday, he would talk about how he would sleep 10 to 12 hours a night. You think that yeah. had something to do with the success? Absolutely. And I think yep. Frazier's the same way, like a sleepaholic. And I know not everyone can sleep 14 hours a night, but you turn off Netflix a couple hours earlier or an hour earlier and actually let yourself get to bed and you start thinking about what are the things that I can do now that are going to pull me in the direction of success during the open. If, if you're actually serious about it, this is the time you have to start doing it. Don't wait like everyone else. And it's one month before the open. They're like, ah, oh, shoot, I should probably focus on recovery because you've missed all of the five or four months of recovery that you could have gotten each day making those decisions. I forget which book it's from, but basically imagine every single decision that you make between now and the open, whether it's for or against your fitness, each decision is technically going to add up little by little to, to impact your open score and your fitness when you get to the open. So each little, ah, you know, just one drink or each little, like, I'll just stay out a little bit later. It's totally fine to have fun and do all that. But just know that each decision you make is either a vote against for or against your future fitness self. So if you start also doing the recovery things necessary, sleeping that extra hour, making sure that you're hydrating, drinking plenty of fluids with electrolytes, and you're reducing your alcohol consumption, you're reducing your partying, you're reducing all the junk food. All these little tiny things are going to add up because now is when it matters, not just a week before the open. You can't just start eating clean a week before the open. Yeah, that'll make some sort of impact. But if you started eating clean and sleeping now, that is going to make a much bigger impact because you get all those wins rolling up into the snowball that's going to make you unstoppable. I love it. Love it. When is uh... You said CJ was working on this programming. When's it coming out? Is it already out or not? Yeah, yeah. So that's that's the so we have daily programming called Watt Prep Training uh, or Watt Prep Online Training, depending on who you talk to. But yeah, Watt Prep Training. We have all these different programming tracks. We have Compete. We have Masters. We have Classic. There's an intermediate track. So we have all these available tracks, and each one of them has this component of, of pacing built in. So. As, as C, CJ writes our programming around the open. So right now we're, we're moving from like the, the off season phase, which is mainly like strength development. to now we're starting to add in like a lot of skill development stuff that we talked about. And then that pacing strategy stuff that we talked about to help us really start to become masters of the skills 
and the pacing. And then as we get in closer to the open, that's when we really start doing the open style workouts, just like we talked about. Okay. And if they wanted to find it, just go to wideprep.com. Is there a yeah, go to, hyperlink? I'm pretty sure just go to wideprep.com, click on programming at the top of the website, and, and then you can check out all the programming options. You're like, bro, I don't know. I've been in the woods for like a month. Don't, don't ask me about the website. It's just my made changes but i'm gonna check it right now just to make sure but i'm pretty sure really? yeah you go to wapprep.com there's courses that's if you want to work on the individual skills but if you click on programming browse all programs you can see we have wapprep compete wapprep masters classic and then we actually have accessory tracks for engine gymnastics strengths so on and so forth all right well, i was making sure you still know knew what was going on over there since you've been gone yep. for so long yeah. You're taking off for nothing. How long are you going to be out in the woods this time? So I'm going to go back out for, I mean, it depends how long it takes to get one, but assuming we don't get one right away, I'll be back out here in Colorado for the next week and a half until I have a wedding in New York. And then I turn right around from that and I go to Alaska to try for caribou for a week. Man, you got the life, dude. You seriously got the life. I love it. Love and then, it. and then maybe. Iowa or Whitetail with with Katie and some friends, so that would be awesome. Man, love it. Are you gonna do any fishing in Alaska? I know you love to fish. If we get a caribou, which allegedly a lot of people say it can be quick, my buddy is bringing a rifle. I'm bringing my bell, so that makes it harder. But he's bringing a rifle for insurance policy, so we do have all of our fishing tags. So hopefully. We get a caribou or two or I think three technically is what we have tags for. So if we get some caribou, then we will probably go fishing. Yeah. That would be awesome. That would be a sweet double whammy. I'd love to do some fishing in Alaska. That's yeah. like on the bucket list. I got I have a few. We're going to Adak Island, which is the westernmost inhabitant of the United States. It's essentially Russia. So it's gonna be like forty <laughs> degrees and raining every single day. And windy, like 30 mile an hour winds sustain. So <laughs> it's going to be fun. All right. Well, good luck with that. Dress, <laughs> dress warm. By the time you get back, it'll be snowing here in Cleveland too. So we'll nice. be all set. All right. Well, it's been fun, man. I'm glad you got out of the woods early. Glad you had success this year. I'm excited for you. I, I love the picture, by the way. I was immediately texting your wide prep team and they had already had the pictures too. I was just, I thought I was the only person in your life you were sending photos to you were one of the, you were one of the first john the thing with i sent i think i barely had any service so i don't think the initial picture went through when i sent it so i had to resend a little bit later but right. you were one of the first you were you were top five for sure all right well i feel better then thank you top five. i i sent it to tom my gym partner for those that don't know and he's like, oh, i've already seen that i'm like what the hell how'd you get in the list yeah that because i sent it to all the people in the first round, I think you were one of the ones where it didn't actually go through. But don't worry, you're one of the first, I promise. Well, well to be fair, you and Tom have that elk connection since he likes to elk hunt, so I'll give you a pass for that. So, yeah. All right, dude. Well, thanks for taking some time and joining. Super fun. And uh, for everyone listening, get to work on your open prep, and we will chat with you guys soon. Peace.